Daniel chapter 7. We'll be looking at uh, the rest of the verses here in Daniel chapter 7, verses 15 through 28. In uh, Daniel 7, we've been looking at Daniel's dream and the visions contained in that dream. It's a dream that gives us uh, probably the most comprehensive picture of, the hist- of history and the future of the entire Bible, in the entire Bible. Uh, we'll look here at verses 15 through 28 and find the meaning of the, the night visions that Daniel had. Prophetically, Daniel saw the rise of nations and empires that we view historically. Uh, he saw the Babylonian Empire uh, falling to the Medo-Persians and the Medo-Persians falling to the Macedonians and the rise of the Roman Empire. And all this we know from history. But notice in verse 15 through 18, uh, it says that Daniel was grieved in my spirit. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and, and the visions of my head troubled me. And so uh, we see here that the visions... I suppose if you had a vision, a night dream like this, it'd probably trouble you too. Uh, uh, the beast that Daniel saw rising from the sea, especially the fourth beast, especially caught his attention. And then he says in verse 19, Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others. Now, he's uh, trying to get more understanding, especially of this fourth beast, and he learns... Uh, what he learns is given to us in these rest of the verses of this chapter. Uh, We saw the fourth beast representing the Roman Empire earlier. But in uh, verses 19 through 28, the attention of Daniel is drawn to the horns on this fourth beast. And these ten horns he saw back in verse 8, he saw a little horn coming from these ten horns. And as we see in this study, the little horn that Daniel saw is a future personality that will one day step on the stage of the world. We commonly know him as the Antichrist. So in Daniel 7, we're given the fullest portrayal of the Antichrist as given in the Bible. And we're going to look at that fourth beast and learn a little bit about the Antichrist this afternoon. Uh, Let's begin by noticing the dream. First of all, the description of the little horn. In verse 19 and 20, it basically repeats the vision that he had of the fourth beast back uh, we saw in verses 7 and 8. And I want us to look at this description that he gives, and by doing so, we're given a kind of a preview of the nature and the character of the little horn. Look at verse 19. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron, his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. And of the ten horns that were in his head, of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes, and a mouth that spake with great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. Um. I want to point out three things about this fourth beast that Daniel saw 
in this vision. Uh, first of all, he saw a diverse beast. He saw four beasts rising from the sea, but this fourth one, he says, was diverse from all the others. He saw certain features uh, about this beast that kind of made it distinctive and uh, different from the other beasts. Now, one of the features of this fourth beast was that uh, it being different and it defied zoological category. You remember the first beast? First beast was that of a lion. Uh, we can, we've probably all seen a lion if we've gone to the zoo, okay, or you've seen a, uh, a film or a, a video of lions in Africa. So that's easy to, to recognize the lion. Second was a bear. And that we see around here. I haven't seen any lions, but I've seen some bear. Uh, this was a little bit different bear than we see here. But uh, and the third one was a leper. I don't know if there's any lepers stalking around the woods of Northwoods uh, here, but uh, probably not. But that's a recognizable beast. And then the fourth beast was so different that there's no animal that could be compared to it. I guess no animal except some of the crazy films and movies and, and, and uh, games that are on video games these days. I saw one advertised recently, and it looked, looked like kind of the one I had pictured there. I thought, boy, uh, maybe that was what Daniel was talking about. But anyway... It's uh, like no animal you could ever uh, uh, have ever seen. But another feature was that, that caught Daniel's attention was that he saw, uh, uh, tw verse 20 says, ten horns that were on his head. Now, usually a, an animal has two horns, or if it's a rhino, it has one horn or something, but this had ten horns. And these ten horns were seen protruding from the fourth beast, and they represent the ten kings that will rise from the Roman Empire. He saw, uh, we saw that in as we studied this earlier, ten kings. They speak of kings and kingdoms that have a connection with the Roman Empire. And I believe these ten horns, or at least some, many believe that this is uh, a future revival of the Roman Empire, uh, ten kings or kingdoms rising to power that originally were a part of the Roman Empire. And from a historical perspective, we know that this is yet future. It hasn't happened yet. I don't know of ten kings and kingdoms. Uh, some people want to say, well, it's a European common market of nations, and that's kind of, uh, well, it could be a forerunner. But whether or not it's the European common market of nations or or whatever, it certainly bears the characteristics, the ideology of what Daniel saw, and uh, could be very well a forerunner of these ten horns. But you know, it would seem that one thing that really caught Daniel's attention here was that there was another horn that came up out of the ten horns. In verse 8, it was called the little horn, kind of speaking of its size. And in time, it became... It came to overpower three of the horns. It says there in verse 20, um, it, it, it says of the ten horns that were in his head and of the other that came, oops, uh, yes, uh, that's right, came 
up and before whom three fell. Okay, so it has a, the idea of overpowering three horns. The others unable to resist his quest to rule over them. So it's a diverse beast. <coughs> Secondly, it's a dreadful beast. And so in verse 19, Daniel saw it was exceedingly dreadful. The word dreadful speaks of that which causes fear, makes someone afraid. Kind of depicts the might and the cruelty of Roman Empire. And just as this beast was different from all the others, the Roman Empire possessed a power and longevity unlike anything the world had ever known. Now the expansive control of the Roman Empire brought the world to its feet. And uh, nations feared the mighty armies of Rome. They created fear in the heart of all peoples that determined, they determined to conquer and to rule. But then thirdly, he sees a destructive beast. It says there in verse 19, "...whose teeth were of iron, his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet." The word devoured speaks of eating. Uh, sort of like what some of you did just moments ago. You devoured some food. Uh, and uh, the iron teeth refers to the tearing of the prey with its teeth. I don't know that anybody has iron teeth here. Maybe you have some false teeth or some metals in your teeth. But uh, uh, verse 7 says that it trampled underfoot whatever was left, stamped the residue with his feet, Kind of an image of the nations that were crushed under the iron boot of the Roman Empire. Very uh, powerful, virtually irresistible. Now in addition to that fourth beast was found uh, nails of brass, metal claws that would tear the victim to shreds and signifies a tremendous destructive power. And so Daniel's description there in verse 19 is largely concerned with the ancient Roman Empire. And the little horn that rises up, much of the personality and characteristics of that empire will be embodied in the Antichrist. But in a much more dreadful, terrible way. So that brings us to the deeds of the little horn. We see in verse 23, it says, The fourth beast should be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down, and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall arise after them. And he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear the saints Wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they that be given unto his hand until a time and times of the divided time. Now, Daniel explains this in more detail. That's what he's doing here in verses 23 and 25. It's kind of a repetition here of what we saw in verse 20, 19 and 20. But uh, again, it's very clear that these ten horns are ten kings. 
And the ten out of the ten come one particular horn, the little horn, it shall subdue three kings. And there will come a day when the Antichrist will rise to power. He will be energized by Satan himself. He'll rise to a world power and domination. He'll occupy a place of one world ruler having political and ecclesiastical control over the earth. Now, in this vision, we, some, we see some of the deeds, uh, things that he will do. And the first is that uh, we see, the th first thing we see is what he says. Now, in verse 25, we see it's, he says he will speak great words against the Most High. Now, verse 8, you go back there, you'll notice it says, A mouth speaketh, speaketh great things. And the, uh, in verse 25, it said great words. The phrases great words and great things indicate that the Antichrist will be extremely intelligent and clever. The words, a mouth speaketh great things, is literally a mouth that speaks boastfully. He'll be very arrogant and prideful, but the word, world is going to fall under the spell of his captivating words. In verse 25, we're told his arrogant assertions will particularly be aimed at the Most High. He, his boastful assertions will be blasphemous words against God. If we go to Revelation 13, and it says in verse 5, And there are given unto him a mouth speaking great things, and blasphemies and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months, and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. Now when we talk about the Antichrist, Anti means against. It's being against God, against Christ. And he's going to blaspheme God's name and tear down Christianity. I mean, even more so than Christianity is being torn down today. He's actually going to declare himself to be God. And so in order to exalt himself as God, he's going to seek to turn others against God with his declarations. So that's what he says. Secondly, what will he seek? Well, in verse 21, it says there, I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. Now, in verse 25, we read there that he will wear out saints of the Most High. He's going to seek to discredit the name of God. He's going to seek to destroy the people of God. And these saints are those who are saved during the tribulation. So in his attacks against God, and his attacks against God's people, it's going to be open hunting season on all those who would name the name of Christ, and there's not going to be any limits. You can't, you know, they can't buy a tag for one Christian. You got, you, it's open season. be a time of unprecedented persecution. When it says wear out, that's used like speaking of wearing out a garment or a piece of clothing. He's going to harass the saints, making life miserable. He's going to seek to remove the very name of God from the earth. And as a result, 
seek to rid the earth of every Christian he can. You say, well, that sounds like what's kind of happening now. Well, this is only the forerunner of what's going to happen. So further thing that he's, we see that he seeks, in verse 25, he will seek to change times and laws. Change times, best understood as uh, speaking of religious holidays. The Antichrist will seek to do away with Easter and Christmas and any other holiday that has a religious connotation to it. And the laws, no doubt, are the laws that are religious in nature as well. If you think, again, efforts to remove Ten Commandments, the words, in God we trust, and the divorcement of God from our public life has been bad over the past years, it's going to be an unprecedented scale when the Antichrist rises to power. So he says, all he says and all he seeks are very selfishly motivated. He'll desire and demand to be accepted as God, and therefore he'll do everything he can to dethrone God and Christ and enthrone himself. But then lastly, the destruction of the little horn. In verse 25, we read, they shall be given unto his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. Now, scholars would interpret this to mean three and a half years. Revelation 13.5 says the Antichrist will have power for 42 months or three and a half years. And the rule and control of Antichrist, although powerful, will be limited. His his role on the world stage will only last three and a half years, but it's going to be a terrible three and a half years. So Daniel saw two kingdoms. First, there was a kingdom destroyed. Verse 26, The judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. The end of these three and a half years, the Bible tells us the Lord Jesus will return from heaven with his holy angels. So this is the second half of the tribulation. Uh, and Revelation 19 also indicates the saints will be, his saints will be with him. So when Jesus comes back, we'll come back with him. And, uh, well, the Antichrist will try to put up a fight. In Revelation 19, 19, it says, And I saw the beast... And the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. He may try to fight, but he's going to be beaten. He's going to be beaten before he ever gets started. And so it's going to be the hour of his, his defeat. His world power and dominance will be shattered at the moment, that moment, and he'll personally be judged by the one who sits on the throne of judgment. And as Daniel saw this dream... Uh, he will be consumed and destroyed, and the destruction of this kingdom uh, will come, and Daniel then will see another kingdom, and it will be a kingdom delivered. Look at verse 27. Verse 27, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. So he saw the Lord sitting up, setting up his kingdom upon the earth. And we've, as we will see in other places in the scripture, the Lord will return to earth, destroy the kingdoms of this world, and especially the kingdom of the Antichrist, uh, 
And then he's going to rule and reign for a thousand glorious years called the millennium. And Daniel saw the Lord's kingdom as an everlasting kingdom. Jesus will reign on this earth for a thousand years, and then he'll reign through all the rest of eternity. And so the world now lies in the lap of the wicked one, and one day it will bow to the feet of the holy one. Now there's something that Daniel saw that is really a blessing. Daniel saw his new kingdom being handed to the saints of the Most High. Okay? That's a blessing. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 5, that God's people will inherit the earth. The world may make fun of Christians now. The ridicule who and what we are and what we believe, the practice and what we preach. There will come a day when the earth will be ours. The whole earth will be a Christian earth. Every office will be held by a Christian. And I'm sure the liberals will would love that. Hmm. Glory. Christian values will be the standard for every society. Now we read in verse 28, hitherto is the end of the matter. So he's stating this was the end and the completion of his dream and his visions. Now it was much about the dream and the visions that bothered him, as we said, but he says in verse 28, as for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me and my countenance changed in me but I kept the matter in my heart there still remained some things he did not quite understand so he kept those matters to himself and as for us with the aid of further revelation concerning what Daniel saw our hearts need not be troubled by what is revealed but we need to be thrilled about it we know how everything ends up. We know the end of the story. So let me just wrap up our study here that we are not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking for Jesus. Don't be looking for Antichrist. Look for Jesus. Now, I know all believers don't agree with all the details of His second coming, but... You know, truly born-again people do believe that Jesus is coming again. And those who deny the return of Jesus to this earth are basically saying, well, we've never been saved, so we don't really know. Take a, a moment here and just turn with me to Titus. Titus 2 and verse 11. And the Bible this is the Bible basis for this truth. Apart from grace, there is no salvation. We know we're saved by grace through faith. But in Titus 2.11, we see that any person who claims to be a child of God denies that he possesses the grace of God is certainly scripturally ignorant concerning salvation because the grace of God saves us. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking, what? Looking for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The grace of God teaches us to look for Jesus. Don't look for the Antichrist. 
those who teach that the Antichrist will be revealed before the rapture, I think that's a man-made doctrine. I think it's foreign to the Word of God. Because the Antichrist will not be unveiled until you and I as believers, as saints of God, and the Holy Ghost will be taken out of this earth. Now, there's one other passage I want you to quickly look at, and then I'll let you go. 2 Thessalonians 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The devil is a cheap counterfeit for everything that God has, or God is and has, that is good. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, For the mystery of the iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way, and then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they, might, they all might be damned to believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The devil, again, is a, a counterfeiter. I think the devil, he's counterfeited the Trinity. We believe in one God, in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You could say the Satan is kind of a Trinity, the Antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet. These three are going to be revealed, but it's going to be after the, 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 tribula or the rapture and during the Great Tribulation. Now, in the Old Testament, we read much concerning a mystery and the terrible person who will be revealed in the, la in the last times, and that is after the rapture, the beginning of the tribulation. Now, it's very interesting, even in the Old Testament, you have names of Jesus. He's wonderful, counselor, mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, the Rose of Sharon, the Lily of the Valley, the Bright Morning Star, the Way, the Truth, the Life, the Door, the Good Shepherd, the Bread of Life, and the Water of Life, and the Alpha, and the Omega, many others. That's the Old and New Testament. But the counterfeit Messiah, and that's exactly what he'll be, has many names too. Names of the counterfeit Messiah. We see one here in, in Daniel, Little Horn, Next chapter in verse chapter eight will be king of fierce countenance, and chapter nine will be the the prince that shall come. The chapter eleven will be the willful king. Isaiah fourteen we have Lucifer. Isaiah uh, fourteen also the Assyrian, the wicked in Isaiah eleven, king of Babylon. Isaiah fourteen and king of Tyrus. Those are all names for the Antichrist, the counterfeit Messiah. And the Antichrist will be the devil in the flesh. There's one devil, but he sometimes takes different forms. He employs a, employs a guise, a disguise that will accomplish his purpose. In the New Testament, he's called the man of sin, the wicked, the beast, the son of perdition, and the Antichrist. And so let's not be looking for the Antichrist. Let's be looking for Jesus Christ. 
because he is coming to catch us away and then the Antichrist will be revealed. Let's pray.